So Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Thanks, Steve. That sounded a bit complicated, didn't it? So let's pray, um, uh, perhaps more than ever this morning, and ask God to help us to understand this. Lord, we thank you for, for your word, the Bible. Um, and we know your spirit, through your spirit, you inspired this to be written. And we pray that through your spirit now, you'd help us to understand this with our minds and to live it with our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Really? 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 Mind you, I suppose, if you have a bit of a think about it, I suppose you might be right. Maybe. I think perhaps you are. Yeah. You know, there are a number of things, aren't there, where uh, it seems rather silly at first, and then you think it must be true, and you think, actually, of course it's true. Pretty daft not to believe that in the first place. So if I were to say to you, for instance, athletes need exercise, and you might think, well, they're very fit. Why would they need exercise? But then when you think about them a bit more, you think, well, actually, no, athletes do need exercise, don't they? Because they've got to be very fit and they're athletes and so on because they've taken exercise and they need exercise to keep them at that level of fitness and uh, performance and so on. Or fish need oxygen. You think, really? But actually, there's oxygen in the water and that's why they've got gills and they need their animals. They need oxygen to survive. Or um, how about commercial airliners need a lot of help? And you think, really? 
But then actually, whenever, I don't know about you, but whenever I pass Gatwick on the train, um, and you, uh, if you're going up to London, just look on the left, you see all these EasyJet planes, and it seems to me they look like a bunch of beached whales. And, uh, you know, when you've got the, the airliners there, they've got to be pushed back and they've got to be fed and watered and all the rest of it. They need a lot of help, don't they? So uh, it's fairly obvious, really. Well, anyway, we've got something this morning which is really important and falls into this category of, really? Oh, well, you might have a point. And it's this. Religious people need the gospel. Religious people need the gospel. I mean, uh, you might think, when I, when I say that, when you read that on the screens there, religious people need the gospel. And you might think, well... Um, Really? Surely, surely religious people, you know, people like you come to church on a Sunday morning, for instance, um, they're all on their way to heaven. So they're the last people who'd need the gospel, surely. But then come to think of it, most of Jesus' battles were with religious people. And come to think of it, it was religious people who, who uh, got him executed, got him crucified. And the early church was persecuted by religious people. And it's religious people who persecute the church today, most of all. So maybe religion's more of a problem than the solution. Maybe religious people do need the gospel. This wonderful news that we celebrate and remember every Sunday, this wonderful news that Jesus died for us sinners, that he was raised again on the third day, on that first Easter Sunday morning, that he's coming back one day as Lord and the judge of all. That's the gospel, and religious people need it just as much as everyone else. So we're on page 1129 and over the page there as well in Romans chapter 2. We're doing a series on Romans, that's why we've got this uh, uh, perhaps feeling slightly obscure passage this morning. We're, we're preaching through Romans. And the question is, uh, religious people need the gospel? But the question is, why? It sounds a strange thing. Why do religious people need the gospel? Well, there are uh, four things you'll see on the back of our service sheets. And the first one is this, because religion on its own doesn't get you to heaven. It would never get you to heaven. So let's have a look at verses 17 to 24, first of all. Religion just won't get you to heaven, just on its own. The kind of stuff that we're doing this morning, religious service, is not going to get you to heaven uh, just on its own. But a surprising number of people think that it will. So, for instance, I quite often meet uh, uh, folks and they find out I'm a vicar, and then very often they'll talk to me about uh, how religious they are. And the unspoken assumption is... I'm doing religious stuff, and my religious stuff has got to count for something and would help me on my way to heaven, my religious activity. And so they assume they're okay with the Almighty. Trouble is, religion never got anyone to heaven. Never has, and it certainly never will. And verses 17 to 24 here are addressed to very religious people. It's addressed to the Jews. Now, let's be clear, this is not anti-Semitic in the slightest, okay? It's an appeal rather than an attack. And actually, the thing for us today is this. It's written to a bunch of people who had enormous religious privilege. Enormous religious privilege privilege. And there are people like that in churches all over the world today. People of enormous religious privilege. Maybe you're one of them. Perhaps your parents were Christians. Maybe they're still uh, with us now. 
Maybe they brought you up going to church. Maybe they read the Bible with you and prayed with you as you were growing up. Uh, Maybe they encouraged you to go on camps like the one at Woolhampton at the moment that our 11 to 14s are on uh, and ends tomorrow. Maybe you're a person in the same, well, a different way to the Jewish folks here, but in the same way, a person of enormous religious privilege. And uh, uh, maybe, like the people here, sometimes you're tempted to look down your nose slightly at folks who have a little less religious privilege. Perhaps even like me 50 years ago. Because I never went to Sunday school. I've never been to Sunday school in my life. I was never brought up with my mum and dad reading the Bible and praying with me and encouraging me to go to church or anything like that. I never went on a camp like Woolly as, uh, uh, as a young teenager. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about my mum and dad. Um, I think they were brilliant. I think there was, uh, they brought me up very well, I'd like to say. And I believe that. And I'm very thankful to God for them. But we didn't have a Christian home or a religious upbringing in any way. But just look at the religious privileges listed here in verses 17 to 24. And uh, look at the word if. That's really important. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, verse 18, if you know his will, verse 19, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, uh, and so on. Now, that's a little cluster of incendiaries. If, if, if. Now, all the Jews in those days, they'd have been saying, well, we're Jews, there's no if about this. We are God's people, this is it. You don't have to say if, why are you questioning it? And uh, and at the end of verse 17, look at the end there, and boast in God, um, literally, it's br- the word is bragging. So he's saying there, now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag in God. In other words, you're bragging about your religious privilege and upbringing that you've got. Um, so, for instance, you've got the law. You know what God requires of us as human beings. But the problem was, as he says here, you're not actually doing it. You know what God's requirements are, but it's a big problem because while you're hugely privileged, you're not actually doing this. You're not obeying the law has given to you. So you look at verses 21 to 22 here, and he says, uh, uh, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Answer, yes. You who say people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Answer, yes. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Answer, yes. We don't know exactly what that meant. Uh, No one's terribly sure. They knew. And they were doing it. They, so all these things in the law that came out, and they were, they were, they were doing it. They were guilty. And the thing is, you see, we don't keep the laws of God. No one keeps the laws of God. We're going to confess our sins later on in the service. We don't keep them. You don't keep God's laws. I don't keep God's laws. They're God's laws and we don't do it, do we? I don't. And actually the Bible tells me that you don't either. The problem with religion is that it says if you keep God's laws and you do all the religious stuff, you're going to be okay with God. But we don't do it. And more than that, we can't do it. It is not within ourselves to be able to do it. As someone once said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Jeremiah 17.9, he wrote this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's your heart and my heart. 
And mere religion doesn't understand the heart problem. Mere religion doesn't understand the, the fact that actually we need a heart transplant. Whereas religion is just putting on the makeup. And there's a huge difference between what we need and what religion can supply. And when people who claim to be God's people and don't live it out, the world around us feels badly let down. So look at verse 24. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's pretty harsh words, isn't it? But actually, it's what happens. It's true. It's a common complaint among Hindus in India that uh, Christians in India are immoral. We hear it here as well, don't we, that Muslims are often very critical of our Western world and they identify it with Christianity, that it's, uh, that it's not a, uh, it's, uh, that again, there is immorality there. There's a Hindu poet, uh, Rabindranath uh, Tagore, if I pronounce that right, uh, who, who wrote this. On that day, when we see Jesus Christ living out his life in you, on that day, we Hindus will flock to your Christ, even as doves flock to their feeding ground. Or a Buddhist monk, to the Eastern religious, it looks as if Christianity has reached a stage in adolescence when a child is slightly ashamed of his father and embarrassed when talking about him. Well, it says here in verse 24, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because of us. Because religion on its own doesn't get us to heaven. Because religion needs to be lived out rightly and properly and well. And in the meantime, religion, mere religion, just disgraces the name of Jesus among those who don't believe. So uh, don't rely on religion. Don't rely on religion. Religion won't get you to heaven. Religious people need the gospel. Second thing this is this. Moralism won't get you to heaven. That's verses 17 to 20. It's kind of embedded in the part that we've just been looking at. Religious people are often great moralists, okay? Good morals, very nice, behave well in public, well thought of and so on, and uh, and shocked at the behavior of, uh, well, these two characters. So moralists will be shocked at the behavior of Danny Cipriani at the top, who uh, was um, pled pleaded guilty this week to assault outside a nightclub in Jersey. He's an England rugby player, okay? And Ben Stokes at the bottom, who's currently playing at Trent Bridge. Hope he gets some wickets today, uh, playing for England against India. But uh, he spent most of the last year, missed the last Ashes series, because, well, you've probably seen the video of him uh, uh, knocking two guys unconscious outside a nightclub in Bristol. Now, moralists would actually be shocked at that behavior. And they'd say, yeah, too much drink, see what it does kind of thing, as if they have never had too much to drink ever in their lives. And it ignores the problem of the human heart. So a little experiment, okay? Here is Mother Teresa. Now, who here thinks that Mother Teresa has gone to heaven? Yeah? You don't have to put your hands up, but uh, probably a few of us think that he's gone to heaven, okay? We're not to judge, but I'm just asking the question. Uh, and here is Joseph Stalin. Who thinks Joseph Stalin has gone to heaven? They're both dead. They both died. But, but my question is this. You don't have to answer either of those questions. But my question is this. We're not to judge, but why do you think that? Why do you think Mother Teresa has gone to heaven and uh, Stalin, Joseph Stalin, hasn't? Why? 
On what basis do you make that decision? And I can almost guarantee that you're probably thinking, or many of us will be thinking, Mother Teresa did lots of good stuff, huge amounts of good stuff for the Sisters of Mercy and so on, and we're thinking, therefore, she deserves a place in heaven. And you're probably thinking, well, Joseph Stalin was uh, guilty, responsible for the deaths of at least 18 million people, 18 million, and therefore... He deserves to be separated from God from all eternity in hell. Yeah? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? That's what we think. That's what the world around us thinks. And that's moralism, basically. It's saying if you're good enough, if you're nice enough, if you're like Mother Teresa, you go to heaven. But it doesn't solve the problem of the times when we're not good enough. Now... Religious people need the gospel. Why? Because moralism, which means being good and being shocked at those who are not, actually doesn't get you to heaven. So look at verse 23. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And the answer is, yes, I dishonor God. We all do. Actually, you know, Mother Teresa did too. And she, I'm I'm sure, would have been the first to say that. How can you tell if you're a real moralist then? Real moralists read the Bible in theory, but they don't apply it to themselves. They apply it to other people, and they're shocked when those people fall down morally, but they don't apply it to themselves. Can you see yourself in that ever? Uh, Real moralists have a certain moral superiority. I'd never do that. I'd never, you know, punch someone unconscious outside a nightclub in Bristol and then do it again to the bloke he was with. And real moralists view unbelievers as on a lower spiritual level to us rather than viewing them as sinners, just like you and me in need of a savior. Moralism doesn't get us to heaven. It doesn't sort out the problem of our hearts. So don't rely on being a good person. Please never rely on being a good person. As someone said, cry day by day for a deep growing and lasting work of the Spirit of God in our lives and hearts. Religious people need the gospel. First, because religion doesn't get you to heaven. Second, because many religious people are um, moralist people, and actually moralism doesn't get you to heaven. And the third reason is this. Religious people need the gospel because rites and rituals, which is part of being religious, doesn't get you to heaven either. Look at verses 25 to 27. It's talking about circumcision, the Jewish custom of cutting off a boy's foreskin. Not exclusively Jewish, of course. For instance, Nelson Mandela was uh, circumcised in his tribe in South Africa. Um, but this is the issue in Romans chapter 2, okay, that Jewish boys were circumcised. For, for the Jews, it was their membership badge. We're saying, I'm part of this community, I'm part of this country, I'm part of the people of God. In those days, before passports, a circumcised body, if you're a boy or a man, told uh, you and everyone else your nationality, your citizenship. And if you're a Jew and you're reading this, well, you've just been dealt a body blow in the, in the first part. And then look at verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, But if you break the law, and we all do, it has become as if you had not been circumcised. In other words, you're saying, what's the point of being circumcised if you don't keep the law? The rites and the rituals don't get you to heaven. They just don't, okay? 
They're saying, I'm circumcised, therefore I'm a Jew, therefore I'm okay with God. But as a a friend of mine wrote in a book about this, he said, God demands integrity. Integrity is a matter of the heart. Outward rites and symbols were never meant to be the final mark of a person standing with God. So circumcision is not meant to be the final mark of a person standing with God. Baptism is a sign of something that's going on inside, but the mark of your standing with God is what's happened in your heart, not the fact that you've been baptized or you've been confirmed. It's what's in your heart is between you and the Lord's. That's really significant. And yet people think so, don't they? I remember once talking to one of my lecturers at uni a long time ago. And he said, I've been baptized in the Church of England and therefore I'm a Christian and you can't tell me otherwise. Well, I did. (laughs) But he just didn't get it. And he didn't want to get it either. That was the tragic thing. He didn't want to get it. You see, this circumcision... This is quite important. Circumcision is at heart, it's a cutting off, okay? It's a physical cutting off, but it's more than that. It's a physical cutting off, but there are three other things as well. So A, circumcision symbolizes a cutting off of the old life. So when you start uh, as a Jewish person, you're circumcised, and it's cutting off uh, the people from outside your your, uh, Jewish religion and so on. It's a cutting off of the old life, okay? Uh, I'm, uh, uh, and if you become um, a, a convert to Judaism, uh, you'll be saying, well, I've, I'm, a, I'm now a part of God's people. My life is going to be different. I'm going to be uh, keeping God's law. Second, or B, it, as was the case with covenant ceremonies, as was the case with covenant ceremonies in the Old Testament, it symbolized what happens if you don't keep it. So the cutting off that you see in a circumcision is also a symbol saying, if you don't keep this covenant, that God says, I'm going to be your God, but I want you to be my people, and the way to be my people is to live this out. Well, if you don't do it, the circumcision is a symbol of the fact you will be cut off from God's people and from God for all eternity. That's a big thing, isn't it? That's huge. But there's a third thing, which is brilliant and wonderful. And they say that this cutting off from God's which happens when we don't keep that covenant, this cutting off from God actually happens to Jesus Christ. He was circumcised because he was Jewish. And then he went to a cross. And one of those things he said on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he died, he was cut off from God to bear that punishment for the cutting off from God that we deserve because we break the covenant, God's agreement, that I will be your God and you will be my people. And Jesus died for us. And as he died, he was cut off. And in his own body, that circumcision was a reminder actually to everyone watching that he was a man who was going to be cut off himself from God for your sake and for mine. And I'm very glad this is a communion service. We can remember that cutting off of Jesus from his father as we remember that he died for us. So don't rely, for instance, on being baptized or being confirmed or, you know, being part of a BH or or whatever. You know, let's not, you know, because religion isn't going to get us to heaven on its own. Religion is a good thing. 
Coming to church is a great thing to do, but it won't get us to heaven on its own. And, uh, and moralism won't get us to heaven, and rites and rituals won't get us to heaven, but there is something that will, and it's this. A changed heart gets us to heaven. Now look at verses 28 and 29. Let's be clear. I'm not saying you just need to change your heart, change your mind, turn over a new leaf, that sort of stuff. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying a changed heart, I mean, I mean a new heart, a transplanted heart. And you can't do that. Whoever performed their own heart transplant never happened, did it? We can't do that. And look at verse 28. It should begin with the word for um, because it follows on from what's gone before. And pretty much every church has people in it who are Christians and some people who are not believers. And pretty much every church has people who have a changed heart and people who have not got a changed heart. And we need a changed heart, a transplanted heart. Now we've seen outwardly, to be a Jew won't get you to heaven. Outwardly, to be circumcised doesn't get you to heaven. Outwardly, to be very religious or a moralist or a ritualist, those things don't get us to heaven. What matters is your heart and God. That's your heart. Not your parents' heart, not your best mate's heart, not your children's heart, not your grandparents' heart, but your heart, individually and personally, your heart and your standing with God. And when we put our trust in this Jesus, who was cut off from God for our rebellion against him as he died for us. When we put our trust in him, he comes to live in our lives by his spirit and our hearts will be circumcised as we are dedicated to him. That's a changed heart. That's a new heart. That's a born again heart. That's a heart that's going to take you to heaven. That's a new heart given you by God. Chris Rash spoke at our away day, oh, many years ago now, uh, and he said this, we can be right with God only and 100% by free, unmerited grace received empty-handed by faith. So believe, have faith, trust the Lord that Jesus was cut off from God for your sake and put your hand in his and put your faith in him. And that he will give you a new heart and a new life. And you will start on the road to heaven. Or if you're already on that road, if your hand is in his and you're rejoicing that he was cut off from you. And again this morning you're saying thank you to him. Then why not when you receive communion, you go back to your seat today. Just say to him quietly and personally, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you were cut off for me. And you gave your life that I might have eternal life. So don't worry about being religious. On its own, it won't do you any good at all. And don't worry about being moralistic. That won't help you either. Morals are a good thing. Being religious, being a Christian, being here with God's people is a good thing. But don't worry also about meaningless and empty rites. They won't help you either. Oh yeah, come to church, learn, build Christian friendships, worship God. This is where we belong on a Sunday. It really is. But then remember the main thing is your heart. And when you put your trust in the cut-off Jesus, the Spirit of God will come into your life and you can start over with a new heart for life and for eternity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would burn these things into our hearts and minds. That actually religion and morals and... Uh, rituals just on their own are not going to achieve what we most need. Lord, we 
we recognize that uh, they are good things. It's good to be baptized. It's good to have good morals. It's good to be uh, involved in a Christian church, good Christian church. Well, please burn into our hearts and minds an everlasting thankfulness to our Lord Jesus for being cut off for us that we may be with you and we put our trust in you that we may be with you for all eternity and we praise you for dying for us. Amen.